It's time for school days. Help for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids. But I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allow them to experience adversity. Yes. Here are your hosts, David and Danita Bailey. Well, good morning. Welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School-Age Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm David Bailey. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, more than 40% of American children will experience the divorce of their parents, which can lead to the upheaval of their homes and potentially their schoolwork. One study uh, shows that children of divorce tend to fall behind in their math and social skills and may struggle to catch up with their peers. So I, uh, my parents actually got divorced when I was, I think, nine, might have been 10. And um, I, I remember they got divorced in the middle of the school year. Mm. And um, I think I was a, f- was I a fifth grader, I think. And the school that we went into um, I ended up in, in middle school, I think it was. Does middle school start at sixth grade? The, like, it's a little blurry. I'm 43 well, now. <laughs> well, I mean, some schools go up to, elementary schools go up to sixth grade. Yes. Some districts have intermediate schools, fifth and sixth grade. And then right. some have sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So right. So it all depends on. So it was, it was quite a shock that when we moved to this new school district, I was suddenly, you know, in, I had a locker and I was changing classes. And so that was a little bit stressful because, you know, when you're in elementary school and you have just the one teacher and, you know, I had, I had a particularly sweet teacher that was, you know, huggy and, you know, you stay in one place and you're taken care of by one person. And then I had multiple teachers and, um, you know, that was, that was quite a, a big change that I wasn't anticipating. And in the middle of the school year, it never is fun to move in the middle of the school year. Yeah. You know, and just adjusting and, and not just going to new school, but your parents, no longer together mm-hmm. and having the process that you know I had a lot of kids during you know when I was teaching when you know they would tell me parents would tell me uh, we just separated or you know we recently are divorced and you know just to be mindful of that and so mm-hmm. you know the behavior that I saw in students wasn't necessarily them just acting out it was pain yeah you know trauma um, yeah, yeah it's trauma and so um i had to be mindful of that when engaging with them as well so yeah it, it's it's not easy did you see a big difference in some of these kids oh yeah oh yeah i mean either they're very despondent or wild and out i mean it was either mm-hmm. one or the other and everyone has their way of coping yeah and so you know their coping mechanisms were very different and and then on top of all that, you still have to learn how to solve one step, one variable equations, mm-hmm. you know, and probably not on the top of their priority list. You know, that could be the least of their concerns, mm-hmm. you know, and we still have to somehow get through. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to um, a friend of ours in preparation for this. She said that her parents were divorced when she was younger. And um, she said that she would go to school and just think about her parents. Mm. You know, she was yeah. so distracted and she was trying to think of what she could do to get them back together. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, yeah, probably the guilt and wondering, was it their fault? And yeah. All those things. Yeah. Yeah. You do wonder. Mm-hmm. So, 
uh, this we're I'm excited about this episode. It's a little bit um, sad, but I'm, I'm I know that we're um, our guests are going to share some great information because well, like we were saying, it's complicated and emotions are high, and sometimes it's not an amicable split. Right. And, but still, you have to do what's in the best interest of the child. Um, so um, the two guests that we have today are uh, well versed in uh, dealing with custody and um, joint um, joint. Custody. Custody. Just custody, joint custody, custody, and joint custody. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I Is know we're gonna difference? have some great. Uh, well, we're we're gonna find. We'll out. find out. We're yes. gonna find out. So before we go any further, let me take. Uh, let me let you know that it t- does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show and hashtag I am school days. And also, we want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-431-5062. So Dave, who do we have with us today? Okay, so we have back with us is is are you is he our first return guest? Yes. Yes. Michael Flores <laughs> back. I, I wish I had a clap track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, back in full effect. But Michael, uh, for those of you that I hear him the first time, uh, he is the owner and director of Brighter Possibilities Family Counseling. Michael has worked in many settings, including nonprofit treatment centers and private practice. Brighter Possibilities currently has contracts with Tarrant County Juvenile Probation, where they provide counseling services for their youth and their families. Brighter Possibilities also receives court orders from the Tarrant County Family Court to provide counseling for parents and children. Michael is the developer of Team Integrative Solution Focused Therapy designed to work with at-risk youth and treatment providers. He is a proud father of three children and a blessed, or as we say, blessed husband. Welcome back, Michael. We're glad you're here again. I'm glad to be back. Thanks All for having right. us. Yes. Yeah, and joining him from Brighter Possibilities is Brooke DeLuna. She's a graduate of A&M, and she received her Master's of Science at Tarleton. She is a 13-year veteran educator. What did you teach? Special education. Special education. And she's been a counselor for three years, working with young children, doing play-based therapy. She also works with court-designated cases with custody and abuse battles. She's married, happily married, with two young boys. So thank you for joining us, Brooke. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's jump right in. So tell us, what is the effect of custody, of joint custody versus single-parent custody on a child? Yeah, so there's, there's three types. So you have the sole custody, custodial rights. You have primary, and then you have joint. Mm-hmm. So there's three different ones. So there, so I guess to explain the differences, if you have sole cust- custodial rights, then you make all the decisions based on the child and the child's needs. If you have primary custody, then you get to make the majority of the decisions, but it's with the parental influence. And then if you have oh. joint managing conservatorship or joint custody, then what you have is you have both parents making decisions over certain topic areas, like if it's doctors, choosing counselors, those kinds of things, dental, mm-hmm. stuff like that, schools. So you said with the primary. Mm-hmm. So if you there's one person that is the primary and the other person has influence. Correct. So not necessarily <clears throat> decision-making right. so authority. What it, would, it might say in the documentation, if a person has primary, then it would say that this person gets to make the decision, but they have to consult with the other parent. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, is there anything to make that they consult, but it's basically just... They still get to make the I decision. I have a say, but okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, just in my case, I lived, I don't really know what the custody situation was. Honestly, I was young. So it was just kind of like, okay, where am I going? But um, I lived with my mother first. And then I lived with my father. And it was just kind of a I never had two homes, you know what I mean? I know that that's with joint custody, I guess. We, it was kind of like a visitation sort of thing. Right. And it wasn't really visitation, it was just like, you wanna go over your dad's house, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what? just kind of what is the impact of the different types of custody? Is it, right. you know, are people more um, stable in one situation versus the other? Right, so custody, you're looking at the rights that you have over the child, and then when you look at possession and access, that's how the time has changed. So going between two homes has nothing to do with custody. It has to do with possession and access. Okay. And that can be designed either by the court or it can be an agreement by the parents on mm-hmm. how that works. So the, the impact of that on, on a child is it, I, every kid's different. And mm-hmm. in a court setting, there's usually three, ty- three types of possession and access schedules that are developed. You usually have a true 50-50, which is like a week-on, week-off schedule. Right. So one week they're with mom, one week they're with dad. And then you have like a expanded standard visitation schedule, which is like a Thursday to a Monday. So Thursday evening, one parent gets that, that child every first, third, and fifth weekends of the month, and they take the child to school on Monday morning. And then the other parent has the other part of the time. A standard visitation schedule is typically like a Friday to a Sunday, and that's every first, third, and fifth weekend. Mm-hmm. And then the, the summer times are alternated. Like some parents will get a whole month in July, right. the one that didn't get the majority of the time during the year. So it's not a, it's not a clean deal. It's really... It's hard on the kids because what happens to them is, well, let's say dad's planning a trip or I'm getting to go do this thing and he wanted to invite the kid, but it's not on his time. Mm-hmm. It's on the mom's time. Mm-hmm. And if mom and dad don't get along very well, sometimes the parents utilize that as a way of holding power and saying, well, they're not going to go with you. Mm-hmm. And so the kid, the kid's the one that ultimately misses out. Yeah. And, and it's sad because it's, it had nothing to do with the child. It had mm-hmm. to do with the parental <clears throat> battle and the parental struggle. Yeah. But yeah. I would think emotionally it would be more difficult to mm-hmm. do it like that. You know, we, like I was saying, you know, we kind of just were like, you know, you want to go over your dad's house and then you can go. But kind of having a schedule where it's like, you know, these you first, third and fifth, did you say? Yeah. That seems like that's a lot of upheaval with regularity. And so kind of, kind of how does that, how does that impact them? I know it's different with, for every child, but that just seems like a lot of moving around. Yeah. I, Brooke can answer that, how it impacts kids with schedules. I know she's had a couple of cases like that. So. I mean, I agree with Michael. It's very different for every kid. Um, I have a lot of kids right now who the first, third, and fifth works great for them because mm-hmm. it's predictable. So okay. they always know, oh, every other weekend I go to dad's house on Friday after school. The Thursdays are where I see a lot of struggle for kids because a lot of them will get Thursdays with mom or dad even if it's not their weekend. So they'll go home Thursday night, hang out with mom and dad, and then they go back to mom's house Friday because oh. they don't have weekends. So it's like one little, so they can see oh. them in the middle of the week. Okay. Um, so that seems to be a, a struggle. Thursdays are always hard for kids who have that. Um, you don't see a whole lot anymore of the, I want to go to dad's this weekend, can I go? Unfortunately, there's not a whole, a lot of what we get is not a lot of cohesiveness between the split up parents. Mm-hmm. So they, the kids do not have the freedom to say, you know, I want to go to dad's this weekend. Is that okay? Oh, sure. I'll take you over there. Mm-hmm. It's very regulated based on the schedule. Okay. And a lot of those possessions are based on this is what the court order says. So this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I would imagine with that kind of schedule, it's very difficult, difficult to navigate school and different boundaries and mm-hmm. stuff. Kind of talk about, uh, what some of the some of the issues that arise when you've got situations like that? The easiest one is I left my homework at dad's. That's why I couldn't bring it. I heard school. that all the time. <laughs> it's a good all excuse. Dave knows this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I said, okay, guys, ready to turn it in. And Mr. Bailey, uh, or or either the parent would say, hey, they were with their dad. You see, they was with the dad. They were with their dad. <laughs> I was the dad. Why is it always the dad? They were with their dad this weekend. And because um, mom's not gonna let that happen, right? Well, you know, I guess, yeah, yeah, that's another topic for another day. Uh, but you know, it was typically they forgot their homework, or or dad didn't know, or dad forgot, um, and um, they'll bring it when you know they get a chance or something. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I saw that all the time. Well, and you think extracurricular activities, social life, medication, all of those things are thrown into the air every time they switch houses. Mm-hmm. Oh, my best friend's birthday is Saturday, but dad lives 30 minutes away and he's not gonna let me go and my best friend's close to mom's house. So mm-hmm. I missed the birthday party. Oh. Or, you know, mom's paying for a private tutoring and I'm with dad this weekend and he won't let me go. Or private baseball, you know, pitching lessons. And they, they miss those things on their off weekends when there's not that cohesiveness between the parents. Mm-hmm. Or one parent will set them up for things that are, you know, okay, I sign you up for soccer. Soccer's every weekend. Well, dad doesn't like soccer. So on dad's weekends, I miss my games because I don't get to go on dad's weekends. Yeah. Um, so it's the same thing with school. It's, you know, mom may be on top of them and Friday you come home, get your homework done and and we're good for the weekend. And dad may say, let's do a little as we go through the weekend and then it doesn't get done. So they get home Sunday night and their homework's not done. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a constant wave of, of change. Yeah. Well, it looks like we have a, we call. have a caller. Yay. Go ahead. All right. Hi, welcome to School Days. Uh, what's your name, caller, and where are you calling from? Oh, my name is Will Reed. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Hi. How may we help you? Oh, I was just trying to uh, just talk about the uh, the co-parenting and uh, about the uh, non-custodial parent and the co- uh, custodial parent. Okay, what's your comment? Uh, my comedy is uh, I'm really trying to get some information because I've been dealing with that for a long time as well. And uh, I've been dealing with that, and it really hurts the child in a psychological type type of way, emotional. And uh, by having both of the parents in two different households and uh, one child is on, I mean, the child is in the middle and the mother is on one side and the father on the other side. Mm-hmm. And um I see that it really hurts them because they're in a tug of war state. And um, having a positive co-parenting uh, system will actually help a lot because I've been dealing with a negative uh, co-parenting system because we always arguing, we always fussing and fighting and stuff. And I'm trying to like really just keep that at a lower type of minimum so we won't be uh, arguing. So I'm just trying to ask a question of how what type of uh, components that I can put in place so we can actually uh, solve this problem? That's a great question. Uh, that is the million-dollar question, and, yeah. and I love it. So some of the things that we can probably answer is based on the successes that we've had with court cases that we get referred. And one of the things that we typically will ask parents to think about is when, when, they, when they're on two sides of the plane and the kid's in the middle, a lot of time both parents are arguing over what they think is best for the child. Mm-hmm. And so they're requesting things out of this bucket. Like, this is what I want out of this, and this is what I want out of this. And so when we're doing that kind of conversation, nothing's getting resolved because we're just talking about what's broken and what needs to be removed. Mm-hmm. Right. So the way you do it is the first thing is asking the 
question of the other parent and saying, what is it that you need to see happen differently so that we can get to a place where this can work? Mm -hmm. And it's about what needs to be put into the bucket. So it's what do you need? Mm -hmm. What do you need? The conversation about how can I help? How can I help? What do you need? What can we fulfill? Is a more typical conversation about solution building. Mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of parents have a struggle because when if, if you're still involved in litigation, you don't want to have that conversation because you're kind of armed with your stuff to take to court right. to defend yourself. So you have to be willing to say, I don't want to defend. I want to grow. And part of the growth is what do we need to do to help our child benefit from both of us? Yeah. What do you need and what do I need? And be willing to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what we would do in therapy with parents. Yeah. Does that help answer that question? That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds real good, man. Yes, sir. Well, thanks for calling. Okay, you're welcome. All right, you have a great day. All right, All right thanks a lot. Bye-bye. He, he brought up a, a great point. It, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter how much you talk. You need a mediator of some sort. Mm -hmm. So what are the, your options for somebody to come and help you with, with your ex work stuff out? Well, so there's a bunch of different, uh, Brooke knows this too, <laughs> there's a bunch of different people involved uh, when it comes to trying to resolve cases. And so the court may appoint one of these three people. You can have a parent facilitator, a parenting coordinator, or you could have a counselor or therapist like what we would do, uh -huh. right, that kind of sees anyone in the family. And what we love about what our judges typically do is they'll, they'll give us permission to kind of dictate how the therapy should go. So if we want a certain parent involved, we have the ability to do that, mm -hmm. um, and that helps us out a lot. So those are three different individuals. And then you talked about mediators. Mediators are typically either former attorneys or people who are certified to mediate. Uh, a lot of judges will do that. Former judges will do mediations. And what they do is they really put both parents in two separate rooms. They go back and forth between the rooms until they can get to a place of resolving whatever the issues that brought them in. Whoa. But they're going over everything from custody arrangements to visitation and access to, um, I think they even talk child support. Is that mm -hmm. right, Brooke? I think yep. that comes up too in mediation. So those are different ways that people try to get this resolved. So mediation, parenting facilitation, parenting coordination, and then counseling. So those are, those are all the levels. Is there any specific question you, well, you have on what I those wanna are? I want to know how you find those people. Are those, it, it sounds like some of those people can be court appointed. Mm -hmm. um, do you pay for that? Yes. Can you get, well, <laughs> yes, I know yes, you yes. pay for counseling. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a way to get some of that for free or at a, I mean, depending on income and things like that? Right. So, Brooke, I'll let you answer some of that for the counseling piece if you'd like, and I can do the other part. Um, so, when they're court ordered to come to counseling for us, the order will state what the payments look like. So that's all court based. Um, there is some practices. I mean, when it comes to financial, some practices take insurance, some don't, some offer sliding scales, some have a, just a standard fee. So a lot of times people will get that referral and may call and say, Hey, I need to come in for counseling. I'm not court ordered. And they may say our fee is 150 an hour. Okay. I can't afford that. Right. So can you refer me someone that will, um, there's a lot of resources. Um, I'm more familiar with Fort Worth cause that's where I'm from that will offer, um, free counseling to families. They'll do come in and do an initial intake and then they'll direct you towards the counseling that you need. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, that's kind of the, the route that you would go if you're court ordered, then, you know, the practices that take insurance would figure out the insurance route and then kind of go from there as far as the payments. Yeah. And so with parenting coordinators and facilitators, those are typically designed by a court, uh, 
ordering them to it. So they'll say, I'm going to order you guys to parent coordination or parent facilitation, okay. whichever one it is. It's usually ordered that parents would go to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then counseling, there are people that seek it out on their own before mm-hmm. court. They mm-hmm. don't need court to do that. But there's lots of times when they are in court, the judge will order the counseling or, or, or actually remove a counselor and place a new counselor in place because they know that that counselor does this kind of work, if that makes any sense. And so how does that happen? You're having an issue, like mm-hmm. maybe something's not being... Um, um, the, something that is in the specifications, what, I don't know what I'm trying to say, <laughs> is not being done. Like you're right. supposed to take your child at this point. And so you go to court and you can't get in. That's when somebody's going to be um, brought in. Sure. it can ha- So there's two, there's two judges. There, you have an associate judge and a district judge. And most of the things that are being adapted or changed are typically happening with the associate judge. Okay. And they're doing that to try to see if we can get to a resolution and get something that's workable. Mm-hmm. And so that's where all the modifications are usually happening. Okay. When you get to a district judge, which is usually the same judge in the court, because there's two judges in every court, the district judge is making the final say-so on this is what we're doing. That's okay. your final court hearing. Okay. Um, but the way it happens is a parent will come in on either side and usually just give their complaint. This is what's not happening. My, my child is having trouble in school. My child's having this kind of trouble. And I think because dad's residence is this way. And so then what the judge may do is say, I think we want to do some counseling. Or a lot of times we'll have this relationship is no longer working. A parent will come in and complain. I think mom's alienating me from the child. Or mm-hmm. the, you know, the other parent will say that. And and then what ends up happening is the, the judge says, well, I'm not sure if that's happening, but I'm going to order counseling okay. so that we can reunify or reconcile the relationship from the parent that's missing out. Mm-hmm. And so then we'll get orders like that. So come in. Mm-hmm. And another common order we get is parents who have had um, a supervised visitation and they're going to start getting more regular visitation. They'll have the child start coming to counseling to make sure that the increased time with that other parent is going successfully. Okay. Yep. Got it. So with separation and divorce, um, are the effects on the child similar to, or is it trauma? I mean, the the effects on on the children? I mean, mean, I'm assuming yes, but just wanted to get your insights on that. Sure. I I think it can be, absolutely. I think it... um, I think I've seen both both routes where children have handled it great and other routes where they haven't. I think um, co-parenting successfully is really the key and the way you communicate that information to the child. Um, if they know mom and dad are fighting, mom and dad don't like each other, mom did this wrong, dad did this wrong, then they're stuck in the middle. Like the caller said earlier, they're stuck in the middle yeah. because there's constant bickering. If there's that unity, you know, parents sit the kids down, here's here's the changes, here's why, in, in kids' terms, and they walk through it as a team, the children often don't see it as trauma. They just see it as the next step in their life. Mm. And when you put that counseling in place, they they feel supported through it and they feel strong and know, I can get through this because this is what's best for everybody. Yeah. So what are the, some of the symptoms? Um, if, if you're a you know, mom and a dad and you have the child and maybe you know caught up in whatever's happening between the two of them, but you have this child here, what are some symptoms that they can be looking for to say, you know what, maybe my child is going through some trauma right now and didn't even recognize it. So I actually developed something to help parents and kids, and <clears throat> I've gotten confirmation from almost every kid when I've done this. Mm. So I said, okay, I'm going to keep using this. And so what I do is on a whiteboard in the office, I'll draw a triangle. It's like similar to this. Mom and dad are on either side. I break the, the link between mom and dad because that's where the, that's typically what happened, right? The, mm-hmm. the link has been broken. There's a divorce. The kid's at the top of the triangle. And so what I tell parents is when that hole that exists between both parents is not filled, then the child has to do something to help it. Like you said, all like 
that one friend of yours, Danita, was sitting in school and thinking about how to fix the problem. Right. So they do one of three things. This is one of three roles that kids will take. So I don't know if it's a symptom or more of a, a reaction to the situation. Mm-hmm. But they'll – so you have parentification, right? And that's a, a, a level that kids take. But what really happens is the kid's trying to resolve the problem. Mm-hmm. And so the three roles I have, I have a gatekeeper. The gatekeeper is the kiddo who's trying to create peace between the parents. So when they go to moms, they'll do whatever mom needs them to do or say whatever mom needs them to say so that mom can be okay. Mm. So if, if they think mom doesn't want me to have a good time at dad's, when they come back from dad's, they'll tell mom, oh, it was boring. We didn't really do much. Oh. It's to, to help fulfill what they think mom needs. That's the gatekeeper. He's the kid trying to keep peace between yeah. both parents. Then you have the kid who, hmm. who doesn't do it intentionally but actually creates problems. And so they'll go to school and they'll fail. They'll they'll mess up things because here's what happens when they mess up and make a mistake. Who ends up having to mom come? Mom and dad. Mom and dad have, have to, to come, come in, together. Right. Yes, they come wow. into counseling. They go to the principal's office, right? So mom and dad are having to come. So by creating a problem, I've reinforced the unity between my parents. Wow. wow. So you have that. And it's kid. unintentional. It's un- sometimes kid. it's not probably, yes, but yes. <laughs> it will. If, if it's reinforced, then it's intentional. Yeah. If it's, but usually it's not reinforced right away. It's mm-hmm. reinforced by the kids seeing their interaction. Yeah. So I've done that to parents and said, Hey, I noticed your kids been getting a lot in trouble. So since the divorce, I said, but look where you are today. Mm-hmm. You're sitting in my office together. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So do you wow. think it's possible that they've learned that if I continue to create problems, you have to continue to come together? Mm-hmm. So wow. I said, think about that for a second. When you guys make this work, do they have the need to create a problem? Yeah. And they're like, no. Okay. So that's that's part of something I that's offered great. to parents. Then the third one is the child who, who basically ignores the issues, right? They go off and they'll go get busy with their friends. They'll get busy in sports. They'll get busy with arts and crafts, whatever it is that causes them to have to stay away. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be at the house, whether it's at mom's or dad's. I had one family that came in. I was working with both parents. And mom says, the relationship that we have is great. We have a, I have a great relationship with my child. And I said, that's, that's wonderful. I said, how can you tell? Well, we, you know, we get along, we talk, we, whatever. Okay, great. I talked to dad. Dad says, I never see my child. I said, well, how come? What's what's the issue with that? I said, well, they're either playing sports, they're either in the band, they're out with their friends, they're out with. And I said, does the child do that on your time too, mom? And it's like, well, yeah, the, yeah, she's she's busy, she's she's doing that as well. And I was like, so neither one of you really get time with your kid. Mm. And I said, do you think it's a possibility that she does that so that she doesn't have to deal with this? And mm. they just kind of look at me, kind of like, wait a second. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, look, your kids are doing one of three things because wow. their job is to fulfill that hole that you've created, mm-hmm. not intentionally probably. I'm, I just, I put a lot of pressure on our parents. It's their responsibility to be there for the child, not the child to be there for the parent. Wow. So yeah. it's, it, that's, that's, I don't know if it's a symptom or more of a reaction yeah. mm-hmm. to the situation. So that's what we see. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, when, you know when I think about from a teacher, like I'm all, as an educator, and when I was in the classroom and you're seeing this and you know, it, it you may have very capable children that can do the work, but from what you're saying, sometimes they're not doing it, not because they can't, but because they're trying to fill that hole mm-hmm. that you're mentioning, mm-hmm. you know, then it ends up impacting, you know, educators because, you know, the teachers deal yeah. with these situations all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just very fascinating what you're saying here, but that that's, that's great insight. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So is it true that children of divorce struggle more academically and their aspirations for moving on to college and things like that can suffer i think and what is the reason for that they absolutely can yeah again i think it's that cohesiveness that lack of support and that lack of feeling safe to fail safe to try harder things because 
if I fail, who's who's going to catch me? Are they so drawn and caught mm. up in their drama that they're not going to see that I sh- am struggling? Mm. And so they they struggle to have that safety net, I guess you could say, and that that strength in themselves to know it's okay if I fail because mom and dad are there to catch me if I do. Mm-hmm. And just knowing every step of the way they're going through that step with all those struggles, even 10 years post-divorce, they're still in the middle of the two houses and there's mm-hmm. just that lack of stability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned something, Michael, about them coming together. So that when you're not amicable with someone um, and you have to figure stuff out together, how do you handle like school meetings, conferences and mm-hmm. and things like that with somebody that you're... You, you have to quiet the ego first. You, you mm-hmm. can't come in with your agenda. And I think that's what a lot of parents do when they're litigating is they have they have what they believe is right. We call it, I call it their narrative. It's the story they tell themselves about what needs to happen. Because everybody has the answer. They know what the problem is and they know what the solution is. Both parents actually have it. And guess what? The problem is usually the same. The solution's usually different. Yeah. <laughs> so what I tell parents is if you're going to a school meeting and the teacher's talking about your child or the principal or whoever, if you're in an ARD meeting or 504, whatever it is, your job is not to go in with your agenda. Your job is to go in to listen to what's being presented and what we can do best for the child. Mm -hmm. And that's really what you have to do is you have to quiet your mind and not listen for what you believe and want, but what the child needs Mm -hmm. and what the school needs. And when you can do that, that's when you can have probably the best conversation. But that also is helpful when you're having a counseling meeting with your other parent to do the same approach Mm -hmm. so that's that's probably the most important thing is quiet the ego don't make it about what you believe is right listen about what's important for the child and let the school kind of guide you they're almost acting as a mediator in that sense Mm because their their only issue their only job is to help your child be successful in school they don't have an agenda yeah yeah that's why it works they do their agenda is that the child is successful so if you walk in saying i want the same thing because if you ask both parents do you want your kid to be successful in school they're both going to tell you Yes. And you have to say, then it's not about what you think is the most appropriate. It's about what the school is trying to help you understand is needed so that the child can be successful in the school. Yeah. Yeah. We have a couple of questions from our Facebook family. How (laughs) would you recommend families deal with children's extracurricular activities schedules? That's a great question. Um, Once again, coming together and working together as a team is, is what's best in the best interest for the child always. Um, I think it's in a perfect world if the parents can work together, sign the kids up for what they want to do, not what you think they should be doing, (laughs) and then come together and make an agreement. Some parents, everybody comes to every game and every practice, and that works for them. Other parents say, you know, on my time, I'll handle practices. We can go to all the games, but on your time, you handle practices. Um, Communication is the key. Yeah. So as long as everyone can be on one page then there's no reason we can't all coexist in that world to show that support for the child. Mm-hmm. And if, if practices are happening, not everybody has to go. I think that's a stressor a lot of parents have. Even as a married couple, you don't always get to go to every child's right. practices. Sometimes you have to split Board the games. kids up. Exactly. Yeah. So as long as it's we're all on the same page, we're supporting the child the best we can, and we're doing the best we can, that's that's all you can ask for. Mm-hmm. What happens, I think, with a lot of parents is they'll they get excited for their children to want to play sports, or their child may come to them and say, "I want to play baseball with my friend Tim," you know, and so the parent will say, "Well, if you want to play baseball, I'll sign you up." But what I think is helpful is let's get both parents involved. Say, "Hey, Tim, approach or Johnny or whoever the kid is, approach me and said they want to play baseball with Tim. How do you feel about baseball? Well, how are we going to do practices? How do we, well, let's talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, and let's see what we can do because that's what." 
the child's requesting. So this issue has come up in counseling because a kid, a kiddo has told one parent they want to do one sport but told the other parent they didn't want to do that sport because they were afraid that that parent wouldn't agree with it. Oh. And so that's that kid. That's the gatekeeper. Makes sense? Yeah. Trying to maintain peace. So the parent says, mm-hmm. well, they wouldn't lie to me, but they would lie to you. Well, they wouldn't lie to me. They'd lie to you. So who, who are they lying to? Well, they're not lying to anybody. The truth is they don't want to create a problem. Yeah. But mm-hmm. deep down inside, I promise you, they want to be around their friends. They want to be in activities. So to answer that question, the very first thing you do is if you, if you want your child to play a sport or do an extracurricular activity is talk to their parent about it mm-hmm. first and get, and see that feel. If you're getting red flags right from the beginning, you know, it's an issue. It, mm-hmm. Don't do it until there's a discussion made, mm-hmm. but when the child, let the child kind of guide you on what they want to do. Mm-hmm. I had one parent that offered options said, Hey, instead of just saying baseball, what other sports are you interested in? I'm interested in soccer. I'm interested in basketball. Okay, great. So when they talked to the other parent, they said, hey, he's mentioned three different sports he's interested in playing or she is interested in playing. Which one of those three would be okay for you? Mm -hmm. And now they're feeling like they have a choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. The other parent does in in regards to what the child really wants anyway. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. So then they can say, well, let's do soccer. I can can handle that. Fantastic. So Mm -hmm. we come back and say, hey, your dad and I agreed on soccer. Your mom and I agreed on soccer. Mm -hmm. The agreement is key. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it's awesome. Because then the kiddo's like, oh, I don't, you know. Yeah. Because... Kids will tell us they'll they'll be playing a sport and they'll turn and look in the stands and they're so fearful of are my mom and dad together not together right. is there an issue in the stand oh, and yeah. that's so the kids aren't even paying attention to the game oh, oh. they're they're worried about looking back into the stands and going what's going on back there with my parents oh. wow and so one of my questions I asked kids is what would it mean to you to see mom and dad sitting next to each other at your next sporting event hmm. and the kid goes. Well, what are they doing? I said, watching you. <laughs> yeah, they're arguing. Depends, or, right. Yeah, watching you. And, and just like, that would be weird. Yeah. Is the first, because think about that. Mm-hmm. Would that be weird for us to have our parents sitting no. watching? No. But for a child to say, to see my mom and dad who don't get along sitting mm-hmm. in the stands watching my game would be weird. And I said, would it be the kind of weird you hope for? And a lot of times the kid will say, it would be awesome. Wow. And, and, and see, that's what's amazing to me is, it wasn't the sport as much as it was seeing the unification. Because mm-hmm. once that is there and it's stable and they see it, then they get to go play their sport. Then they get wow. to go be those kids. The kids that you want to see. The kids you want to see smiling and laughing with their buddies and playing a team activity and winning their games. That's what you want to see your kids doing anyway. Well, guess what? It's foundational. It starts from the bottom and works all the way up. Because it's not about the parents anymore. It's about them supporting their child. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're laying aside their personal differences mm-hmm. to cheer on their child. And what, what I hear like you're saying basically in life is, is you want the parents to be able to cheer on their child yep. through what it is. And that's just a symbol of it yep. through sports. So, so can I fast forward? Mm-hmm. There's one question I think is really special that I've uh-huh. used many times. I, I asked parents, I want to fast forward this for a second. Let's, let's put the sport aside for a second. I said, it's your child's wedding day. Oh. And I'm, I'm just curious. Are you hoping to go to the wedding? And, the, you know, one parent will say, yes, ask the other parent, are you hoping to go to the wedding? Yeah, I am. And I say, what do you think this child needs to remember about you as parents so that they're willing to invite both of you there? Oh, gosh. And that's how deep I have to go sometimes to help them realize what this is really about. So those are questions I like to leave with people if they're listening to say, hey, fast forward for a second and look backwards because all this is going to become a memory for them. Right, because uh, your, your wedding is such an emotional time anyway, and you're like, I can't have the two of them together. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to invite one or the other, and and yeah, I want this to be a special day, and I don't want my parents to ruin this special day. Gosh, that's got to hit them really hard. And I think something that's overlooked so often that I've learned in working with all these amazing kids 
in the end, the kids want the parents to be happy. Mm-hmm. So they'll give you the answer that results in smiles on both their, and it doesn't matter if the kid's three years old or 22. Yeah. They want to see their parents happy. So if they'll tell you they can't sit next to each other because I want them to be right. happy at my game. I don't want them to be arguing. So I think in the end, that's all they want. They want their parents to be happy. Yeah. Let's just take a quick break to say that if you have any questions or comments for our guests, please give us a call at 214-431-5062. Yeah, we have a couple more questions um, on Facebook. Okay, so one question is, uh, do you have questions parents can ask themselves to make sure they are putting the child first and moving away from making it about themselves? I love that. I, I like to know who that person is. Jorge. That's Jorge. Jorge that Gamba. is a phenomenal <laughs> <Great> question. <laughs> Thank you, Jorge. Good question. We're going to answer that. <laughs> Brooke, did you want to take that first oh. part or do you want me to go? Um, sure. Yeah, I think the depending on the age of the child, the first thing I would I would do, I'm very child-centered in my, my therapy, and I would look at the child and say, are you, know, are you getting what you need? If, if the child's old enough, um, directing those questions to the child. Is there something I'm missing? Is there a gap in here? I'm all about empowering that child to have their own voice to say, this is what I need. And I think as the parent, you sometimes have to step back and think, is this, is this what's making her happy or am I doing this for myself? And I think that's true for any parent. Yeah. Is, is, this, is my child playing soccer because I want him to or is he mm. playing soccer because that's, is he truly find joy in playing soccer? So I think as long as they are able to reflect on that and look at their kid and say, does this really make them happy or are they doing this for me? Take that step back, mm-hmm. a couple steps back maybe. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that a parent can do is ask the first question, which is what does my child need? And then make a list on what do I want? So what do I want versus what does my child need? And mm. see if they even match. And wow. so that's how you can start with the, the kind of the processing between am I putting my child first or am I putting what I believe and what I want first? Mm-hmm. So you, you basically draw a line right down the middle of a page. Child needs, my wants, and you list them out. Now, if you want to get real creative, you go to your child and say, hey, can you make me a list of the things that you need and the things that you want? And then compare the lists. Wow. And then that will help you know if you're on point for your kid versus if you're doing it for yourself. Because mm-hmm. mm. sometimes what th- – this is how I learned this. When I'm in counseling and I say, hey, what did you find helpful today in our session? The kids will answer a question like that in, in a way that I'm like, I did not know that that was helpful at all. I didn't even realize it. Wow. Because it's, it's usually not the thing you think. Right. And so that's the way to check in is you have to assume you could be wrong. The, the, I think I maybe said this quote last time, but the only sure barrier to truth is the presumption that you already have it. Mm. If you think you Let's already have the stop truth. stop for a second. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Say that again. Let's let that yeah. that marinate. Mar- Say it Mar- again. Mar- Mar- I didn't. I didn't come up with this quote. Okay, but it's a. And I don't know. I can't tell you the the person who quoted it, but it's so powerful. The only sure barrier to truth is the presumption that you already have it. Mm-hmm. If you can just start with saying I might be wrong, that's the first step in learning wow. what is needed. Yeah. Wow. That is so good. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm getting emotional here, and I'm. Head shaking. Right. All right, all right I'll, I'll take the next question. I got, I got this, baby. <laughs> well, you, you, I wanted to, before we go to that, oh. I want to say, I want to ask, um, how much should we share with the school about what's going oh, on? Oh, gosh, what a great question. Brooke, you worked in the school. You can probably explain what was necessary for y'all. Um, any sort of court documents are always, if there's any sort of 
you know, I hate to always go to the negative, but any sort of restrictions on possession or anything that the yes. schools need that information. Absolutely. Cause they can't support that if they don't have it, you can't come in and say my, my ex-husband's not allowed to be on campus. <laughs> They're going to say, I need documentation or they right. are coming. Um, and then after that, I think it's up to, you know, you and the parent to decide to, you know, if it's fresh, have a, have a meeting with that teacher. Um, again, I am very child centered. So I think if your child's old enough, ask them, do you want the school to know we're going through this? Or would you rather us just kind of handle it as long as you maintain your grades and you maintain a positive role? Do you want us to leave it out? I think that's, that's extremely important. Um, but the more the teachers know, or at least the counselors on campus or administrator or somebody knows that way of Johnny has a really rough week and nobody understands why mm -hmm. nobody can really support him. But if, if the counselor knows, okay, Johnny's parents are finalizing the divorce and custody is probably changing, then the counselor can be there for him and just kind of knowing that, okay, there's a lot going on at home because Johnny may not voice that. You're right. And I think school counselors don't get used like they should in my Absolutely. opinion. Talk about and, that. And, Absolutely. And, and I feel like if a school counselor had the opportunity to know, hey, by the way, John, we'll use Johnny again. He's always Johnny. Um, yeah, always Johnny. <laughs> Poor Johnny. Yeah, I feel bad for Johnny. <laughs> Johnny's going through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I tell you. But if Johnny had the opportunity, um, not necessarily to have to know, but the school counselor knew about what was going on with Johnny and kind of keeping that confidential, it helps preserve the child, I think, in the school, but it also gives an outlet. If Johnny's having a rough day, he's struggling, the teacher you know, he can request, hey, I want to go see my counselor if it's okay. Mm -hmm. And the teacher releases him to the counselor and they have their little meeting, which yeah. I think is, is, is another way to do that, uh, which I think would be helpful. I, I just, I really want to help the school counselors get back to doing what they're trained to do, which is therapy. And we've talked <laughs> about we need, a, we need to have a school counselor show because I think we have no idea what the school counselors do. Um, and they can be so um, instrumental yes. in helping the, the kids if they're actually used. I know they're already swamped, the but... The school counselors I have met, they are phenomenal. They, are. they just, they, just they do, yeah, they, and I just think that that's a very, it's a resource that's not getting utilized the way that it could. Yeah. So, yeah, just my yeah. opinion. Sometimes there can be a court order against the parent, and mm -hmm. they don't know, or maybe a parent's not supposed to pick up that child on a particular day from school. There's or always documentation to, f to, to show that. Yeah. So, that's what I tell people all the time is if they just tell you, you just say, great, can you bring me the documentation? Right. Yeah, yeah, always. Let, let me ask you about the documentation. If you have a situation where you've got maybe a, a dangerous situation, but um, I believe both parents are allowed to have access to the um, the school's records. Is that correct? So the custodial rights will, would show that. If a parent has sole rights, then no. And any okay. other custody rights, from my understanding, a parent can have access to the school records. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if there's sensitive information about their in their like address and things like that that you might not want somebody to know, maybe in an abusive situation, how does the school protect against that? Well, I think you have to look at school policy first. I think the school policy is most important. I think you have to make sure that your your principal is aware of it and kind of following whatever their policies and procedures are. Number one, mm -hmm. but the way that I I hope it would be handled is if you if if anybody ever has the fear that if I share this information I'm putting the child in danger, I hope they don't share it. Mm -hmm. Just just take the, take the risk and just say hey if they're going to sue you and take you to court, let him let it be. Let them. It's just going to cost them more money anyway. And they're probably not going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but they're just mad. And that they're saying that because they're angry, but really in, in, in hopes that you always put the child first. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what we do in therapy, and that's what I hope will always happen to the schools is if I share this information, I think I'm putting the child in danger. Then, mm -hmm. then you don't share it. Just say, hey, sorry, I can't share it with you. And as long, But have your administrator back that up. You, yeah. The last thing you want to happen is you say that to a parent, and then the administrator goes, well, you have to give it to them. you know, you got to be on the same page. Everybody's got to know what's happening. Or at there. least redact the information that is 
um, which we address yep. and things like that. Yep. Block it out so that they can't see that part. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, so another question I thought of is what happens um, so if parents are not together anymore mm-hmm. and then one of them or both of them move on to a new relationship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that impact? What, what are the impacts it has on the dynamic with the parents and the dynamic with, with the child? That's awesome question, Brooke. We have so much for that one. <laughs> That's a fully loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll try to make that small answer, but go ahead, Brooke. If you want to take the first. Um, I feel like I'm being repetitive, but I think communication is the backbone to that being successful. Yeah. Um, you know, going into that new relationship is always an important. The way you do it will will form that relationship for the child. So if you rush this, you know, if mom rushes the new husband in and says, you're going to call him dad and mm. he's moving in next week, you've never mm. met him, wow. that happens. Then the kids, what are they going to do? They're going to automatically reject that person because I already have a dad. Even if I'm not close to him, dad's not dad's not a name I want for somebody new in my life. I don't like the dad I have. Why would I want another one? Right. Wow. Um, so I think just have, you know, go, moving slow. Unfortunately, anyone who has been divorced and has children starting a new relationship has to go slow. It has to go at a healthy pace for when the children are involved. Um, you know, you, you typically don't introduce the children until you're to a point where it's, you know, a, a stronger relationship. Um, I've seen situations where they try to hide it from the other parent that they're in a relationship and that doesn't do any good mm-hmm. because parent go, you know, Johnny goes home from mom's house and tells dad, oh, mom has a boyfriend. He moved in last week. All of a sudden you're going back to court because dad's mad that there's a boy he doesn't mm-hmm. know about living in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a perfect world, that communication is there and there's nothing wrong with having step parents. It's fantastic. I tell my kids, you have four parents that love you. That's amazing. Yeah. But that's when it's done in a healthy manner. And yeah. there's there's some phenomenal step parents. Matter of oh fact, I had a I had a case where I think the step parents, both the step mom on one side and the step dad on the other side, uh, they were more workable than the mom and dad, and I got more wow. done working with them Absolutely. in the session. of course because there's not that that uh, tension, the emotional the, baggage, exactly. the, ba- yeah. the baggage, and, and it worked well. And and that's that that was I've had one or two cases like that, but there's been other times where um, the step parent is so involved in the case and what's going on that it actually overshadows the actual parent. Mm. So the kids the kids start realizing the stepmom or the stepdad's the one that's got the got the strength in the pool here. And and that's makes me sad because I tell step parents your job is to support the parent, not to be mm, <laughs> the parent okay. for the child. You're 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 there and yes, the child should respect you as a parent and everything else, but your job is to support your husband or your wife. Mm-hmm. Not not to take in that role. So I had one uh, dad in a case where he he told me to communicate with the stepmom. He communicated with my wife. If you you know scheduling sessions, communicate with my wife. And I said, well, is, is she mom? <laughs> well, no. And I said, well, my understanding is parents were court ordered to do counseling here, and your dad, right? Right. Yeah. So I'll be talking with you. Mm-hmm. And how that go over? He's, he didn't like it. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, but thank you. For, but it gives me insight to the system. Yeah. That's what the ch- the child's dealing with. Mm-hmm. So when wow. mom comes into the session and says, stepmom's the one who's doing everything. She's the one sending the emails. She's the one sending the stuff. And I said, do you communicate with her? Well, no, I'd want to communicate with dad. Well, then make it, I will communicate with both of you. Because dad's dad's not going to change his system in his home. If he wants you to communicate with his his, his new wife, then mom's going to have to have do that. But do it together. You can say, I'm, I'm happy to do that as long as it's with both of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. you do it with one stepmom's stepmom's alliance is not toward mom stepmom's alliance usually is toward her husband right does that make sense so if something doesn't go right in there they're gonna go blame mom Mm, and that's not fair to the mom in that situation so step parents can create a 
a, a really cool, unique dynamic that can mm-hmm. be very helpful if it's if it's done appropriately and correctly. And yeah. I think it's it goes back to you're supporting the parent. Your job isn't to take over for the parent. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Good insight. Got another Facebook question. Uh, so if a teacher sees that there's stress in the student due to custody struggles, what's the best way for a teacher or school counselor to reach out to parents? Great question. I think just whoever has that rapport with the parents, the best rapport is mm-hmm. probably the best person to reach out. Um, again, open communication is the key. Letting the parents know, you know, we've maybe even calling a parent-teacher conference, you know, letting not blaming it on the divorce, but we've noticed the past couple of weeks we'll go to Timmy instead of Johnny that, you know, Timmy, <laughs> Timmy has really been struggling. You know, is there, are there changes in home? And that's something in the schools I used to um, ask a lot, you know, are there any changes at home that we need to know about instead of pointing the finger and saying, y'all's, yeah. y'all's divorce is hurting your kid. Mm-hmm. Are there right. any changes at home? Has there been any tension at home? Anything new that we need to know? You know, they just moved out of their childhood home because they mm-hmm. got divorced. That's hard on a kid. Really. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think if you know, both parents are involved and you know that, and there's divorce, keep both parents in the loop. Absolutely. Because when you keep one out of the loop, that's when it creates a bigger mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. So I just say, just just put both parents in the email. If you're going to communicate and say, you know, Timmy had a rough day today, you know, it's okay to let both parents know. Because remember what I was talking about, kids that create problem, yeah. sometimes it unifies them. So if you right. send both both parents, both parents have to come together and get the same message. Does that make sense? So What do you think about having separate but equal meetings with the parents? So you have one meeting like a parent-teacher conference with one and uh, one parent and then one with another or even two ARDS. I don't know if they would do two yeah. ARDS. If, sh- if, if there's an Ill- inability to get together without it being a problem. Well, what a lot of parents will do is if they've had a history with the other parent, like if there was abuse or some kind of domestic violence, mm-hmm. then a lot of parents will request that. And, I, yeah. and you try to make that you know, you try to help them with that because you're not going to get the best version of the parent if they're sitting in the room and they're completely uncomfortable. Yeah. But I don't allow them to make an excuse for something like that because we're not here to talk about your relationship with each mm-hmm. other. We're here to talk about your child. Mm-hmm. And that's still your child. Mm-hmm. So I- if the school's willing to do that, that's fine. Um, but when they're when they're in the middle of litigation, all the time parents are always thinking that something's being left out for them. Mm-hmm. And But when they're not in the middle of litigation – uh, it helps. Just yesterday, one of the judges in the court asked me, she said, if this court case was over, would that allow this child to be more effective in counseling? I said, absolutely, because the litigation isn't hanging over the head. Uh, mm. Makes sense? Because it's over. Yeah. And now it's just, this is what we're doing. And now they can focus on therapy, not where am I going to end up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, research, I, I saw it, um, a study that said that there are that children from stable, wealthy, well-educated, well-put-together families struggle to cope more uh, with divorce and uh, see more traumatic experiences than children that come from more dysfunctional families. I think uh, I, I think it looks I know like why. that's true from y'all's faces. <laughs> I think so I know why. <laughs> tell us about that. That was a salivating well, answer to this question. No, we cheesing. <laughs> Radio well, audience, they're cheesing right yeah. now. They're ready, they're ready to dive in. Well, I, I think a lot of it goes back to, the. have you heard the term of lawnmower parenting? We talk about that before? Uh-uh. So you know helicopter parenting? Yeah. Kind of, uh-huh. you know. You, bulldozer. Oh, yeah. So lawnmower parenting is let's remove all the obstacles, mm. right? Mm. So you, you kind of create a clear path and make point A to point Z really simple and easy for the child. Mm-hmm. So when a parent does that, what ends up happening is you take away all their ability to develop resiliency. Uh, Does it make sense? Because they don't know how to deal with problem. So it becomes more of a struggle. Now I've got this to face, and I've never had to face problem before. 
right? I always had my lunches made. I always was able to go to school. My parents were always involved. And now they're boom, split. Their whole foundation is gone. They have no idea how to deal with it. You take a kid from who's who's developed had struggles along the way. They have to develop certain resiliencies to that, that's and so, so great. that's what I think is yeah. happening in these situations. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you're getting that kind of data. That's just an opinion. Yeah. I have no research to support my thought on that, but that would be my thought based on what you just stated in your research. Mm-hmm. Brooke, I, I mean, the resilience is huge, and yeah. I mean, kids have to learn how to fail, and that's something our kids are missing these days. Yeah. They they're never allowed to fail. They've always got that that string attached. It's like as soon as you fail, I'm going to pull you back and I'm mm. going to catch you. Mm. They don't. When when they are in that organized, every next step is picked for you. As soon as a little bump comes in their road, their whole world is just in disarray, and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So when you're used to, you know, dodging bullets, at you know, just to say, you you know how to be flexible and move around things and adapt, and you know that it's okay that I failed. That's going to make me stronger. It's not. I'm not a failure. I just I just built some strength because I failed and I've overcome that and I'm moving on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. We had an episode, um, Jorge Gamma came in uh-huh. and talked about teaching your child how to fail well. Oh, that was good. And so if <laughs> you it. have not listened to that, you should go back and listen to that. That was, he provided some incredible insight. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank always. you guys so much for yeah. joining us. We probably could have gotten another hour on this. Um, but um, as always, we want to let you guys know what's going on with Noggin. So what's happened with Noggin Coaching, Dave? So this interesting phenomenon happens, I think, with teachers and students. Once you turn the 4th of July corner, I think before <laughs> 4th of July, you're like, woo, I'm free. Teachers, I know, I was, I'm free. But something about when you hit that July 4th, it's like, wait a minute, I only have about a month left. Mm-hmm. And the parents, you know, so school is coming back around the corner, parents. And um, SAT scores are coming back now. They took it in June. Um, and so now's the time to really start thinking about how am I going to prepare my child for the fall? How am I going to help them, you know, uh, shore up the stuff, the, the gaps that I had from prior school year? And now is a great time. I'm getting um, you know, parents and requesting opportunities to work with their children. Either they want to get ahead for the fall, or they want to make sure that they're, you know, filling up those gaps from prior and so if you're interested in getting any type of academic coaching to help get your strong get your child stronger and ready prepared uh, please reach out to me uh, you can reach at me at info at noggin education.com and that's noggin with two g's all right thanks so on the educate on the noggin educational foundation side uh, today through august 4th we are having the Hashtag bought a backpack challenge. So what we do is each summer we collect brand new backpacks for the students who participate in our summer math and reading program. And as well, we adopt a local Title I school. So we challenge you to take the hashtag bought a backpack social media challenge. And it's easy. All you have to do is, number one, buy a backpack. Number two, take a picture with your backpack. And number three, post the picture on social media and tag a few friends to do the same. And if you don't happen to be in the DFW area, but you have Amazon Prime, you can donate by ordering from our wish list. So for more information, head to nogginfoundation.org. So David, what's happening next week? So next week... We'll, have, we'll talk about the benefits of student volunteerism. Uh, and with us from Kiwanis International will be Marshall Craigle, an Arlington ISD teacher and Key Club faculty sponsor, 
Brandon Logos to talk about the importance of volunteerism in students. All right. We're looking forward to that. And as always, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Ever. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play music and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast and also don't forget to follow us on facebook instagram and twitter that's at noggin foundation and that's n-o-g-g-i-n and last but not least we always want to end our show by saying that david and i are parenting by grace we depend on god to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults and if you want to know more about that feel free to email us at info at schooldazedshow.com Have a great week. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Dazed is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.